0: Welcome back, everybody, to another exciting episode of Make Money Count, brought to you by Connect Home Financing. I'm the show producer, Matthew. And today, joining us all the way from Greece will be Marcus. And we're here to discuss the recent news about the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, or OSFI. And what they're doing is raising the domestic stability buffer. But what does that mean? Well, it's a move that affects us all as Canadians. And understanding its implications is crucial for navigating the ever-changing landscape of finance. Listeners, Remember to hit that like button, subscribe button, leave us a comment or a review on your favorite podcast platform and let us know what you think or maybe what topics we can cover in the future. We appreciate your support and it helps us bring you more valuable content. Let's dive right into it. Hey, Marcus, how are you? I'm sorry to bug you on your vacation, but I have some questions here for you and I know you're the man with the answers. So uh, this news article that came out um, changes being made by the OSFI. What is the OSFI?
1: OSFI. It, honestly, in my opinion, OSFI has the most authoritative sounding name out of any of the financial watchdogs. I think they don't, like, they probably don't have the same level of power or influence, so they make up for it with their name. I guess it's I- like a, it's like a, World War II Army vet who still insists on you calling him Sergeant when you make him a coffee at Starbucks.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. So is, is there like a figurehead behind it? Is it? Like, you know, how we have Tiff Macklin for the Bank of Canada. Is there a figurehead behind the OSPI?
1: Yes. So it's a guy named Peter Rutledge. He is the head of the uh, he is the superintendent of financial institutions and the organization is called the office of the superintendent of financial institutions osfi
0: and, and so like and if who's he, behind this infor- organization like what are, what is their purpose what do they do
1: okay so first who's behind it osfi is a crown corporation and they are they, re, they report directly to the Minister of Finance, but it's a collaborative union between the Ministry of Finance and the Bank of Canada. I okay. think the, CD, the CDIC probably has something like, has some involvement in there too. Um, basically, the job of OSFI is to ensure that the financial system in Canada is stable. And that's a big reason why we're seeing the report that we just saw or the action that we just saw come out of um, OSFI's last meeting. So they they have quarterly meetings and they make announcements on how they're going to impact basically how much um, capital a bank needs in order to lend. If you want to think of it like that, so the, their main role is to ensure that the big banks, the big six banks in Canada, they call them the Dsibs, are stable. So these are kind of like our too big to fail entities, right? And and they do that by controlling how much. Value the banks need to have so that they have something called it's a it's C E T one ratio. So forget about the news is only talking about this uh, domestic stability buffer D S B and how it's changed and it's gone from what three percent and now they've announced that it's going to go to three point five percent and that increase isn't going to take effect until November. So forget about that for a second. What is
0: the DSB though? Because that is what the announcement is about, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just it's a it's a buffer or a premium that's placed onto that common equity uh, tier one capital ratio, which is the big chunky thing that I want to explain because that's how that's where you're going to see the impact of this. So common equity. Tier one ratio basically means let's pretend for a second that you are a bank okay matt you ready you are publicly traded and every year you make money yeah a lot of money a lot of money okay lots of lots of earnings billions of dollars in earnings okay you smiling are you happy yeah, i'm very happy you're also too big to fail Okay. okay. Right now, you're too big to fit into a that speedo. That makes me even happier. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you're also too big to fail. Okay, so now imagine this: in twenty, like two thousand and I think it was after the financial crash, right? Like two thousand, I think. Like, a meeting was convened with all of the ministers of finance and the governors of the central banks, Matt, you're going to go down a rabbit hole after this chat. Um, and it was a conference held in guess what country the conference was in. First Uh, of all, uh, Switzerland. Yeah, bingo. (laughs) It was the Basel accord and they instituted a list of requirements that they felt would increase financial stability in the global banking market, because we had just dealt with this meltdown of epic proportions with securitization messes and balance sheets that were kind of riddled with stuff that was riskier than it was supposed to be. And it ended up turning to zero. And how could it possibly turn to zero? Because it had a great rating. So Basel, the Basel Accords were these successive accords to make the financial system around the world more and more stable. And they instituted requirements around this common equity tier one ratio. And they said that a bank, the bank of Matt Scanlon, needs to look very carefully at a percentage number. They need to consider what percentage their common equity and retained earnings equal of all of their risk-weighted assets. So think about that for a second. You are a bank, and your bank is worth $100 billion. Okay. And your bank has retained earnings of another $20 billion. That's a lot, but... So, the Bank of Matt Scanlon has a common equity tier one numerator, right? Okay. Of $120 yeah. billion. And let's say that your bank has $1 trillion worth of assets. Okay. Risk. Assets. Uh, a little more complicated, actually, because it's risk weighted assets. So, what, what the let's say you have $5 trillion worth of assets. What the, the common equity tier ratio says is let's look at each of the asset groups that you have. So, Matt Scanlon has government debt. Well, that's not risky, he can load up on government debt. Matt Scanlon has mortgages on residential real estate, not so risky. Income qualifying mortgages, even better. He can we'll give that a good risk weighting. Matt Scanlon has payday loans, bad risk weighting. Matt Scanlon has, you know, junk bonds or commercial real estate paper or whatever. Every single asset class gets ascribed a different risk weighting. Okay. I don't know what the risk weightings are. So don't ask me. If you want to know them, dive into a rabbit no hole and put them up on this podcast afterwards. Um, I spent a day at the beach. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. But listen, there's a limit to where my um, my interest in these things gets to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like for me, it kind of stopped at like what are the percentage of the risk ratios of different assets within the book? I'm not an analyst on a bank stock. All I know about is the Bank of Matt Scanlon. Okay. So Bank of Matt Scanlon, $100 billion valuation, common equity value. So the market capitalization of your company is $120 or 100 You got 20 in retained earnings and money that's coming into you. There's our numerator. Now we're working on the denominator. The denominator is the risk-weighted assets of the Bank of Matt Scanlon. And we kind of go into all these different pockets. The folks from Basel, Switzerland tell us how much risk weighting is ascribed to each pocket. We put that denominator together, and it equals one trillion. OK. Your bank has a capital equity tier one ratio of 120 billion over one trillion you're at 12 12 percent. Yeah. And guess what? That would be just fine in Canada right now to meet the requirements of
0: the Superintendent of Financial Institutions. But they've just so, increased that number, right? Is that is that correct?
1: And so it was eleven, and now it's eleven
0: and a half. Uh, and that and that's not going to take place For this until November. Is that when it kicks in?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just how they operate, right? Like they, in order to kind of give this. Eh, <laughs> This methodical approach that's required, as we can see with the Bank of Canada, right? Like we meet at certain times, we get our indications from certain meetings. If there's a rushed meeting, it means typically something weird's happening in the economy, and that makes people nervous. So, um, same thing with the Ontario or the uh, Office of Superintendent of Financial Institutions. So they meet twice a year, and then they make their announcements, and then the announcement takes hold November.
0: So let me ask you I mean, I'm a YouTube financial guy. I watch these YouTube videos. You hear people talk about all the time the conspiracy theories of fractional reserve banking system. Is this basically what they're talking about? like this idea that you only need to have 11, 12 percent of your asset cat, like held in cash? Or, or is that, am, I, am I right or wrong? Yeah So You're right. It, this is exactly how a fractional reserve banking system works in practice being controlled by Swiss meetings and Canadian banks today.
1: Listen, what we're saying right now is, so like if you want to draw a parallel, think about Silicon Valley bank. Yeah. Silicon Valley bank had a whole bunch of deposits and those were its liabilities and it had a whole bunch of assets and those were its loans. What happened with Silicon Valley Bank was when the deposits started getting drawn down, they couldn't realize on the loans that they held on their books because the interest rates on the loans when liquidated at today's inflated interest rates, there was a deficit when they were selling those loans to get the capital in to pay out the deposit holders. Their ratio, so their common equity tier one, started shrinking as they had to make up the difference between what they were collecting from selling the loans and what they were paying to the deposit holders. So slimmer that margin gets, the more it erodes, the less confidence people have in your bank, eventually the emperor has no clothes. I eventually-
0: I see what you're saying now, yeah.
1: The, the ratio is zero. And that's when, in the United States, that's when the FDIC steps in and says, like, someone else needs to manage this bank because you're liquidating these loans. Um, they needed a capital infusion, right? Like, if they get a capital infusion to protect them from their own mistakes, and like, there's different ways to look at it. Um, you can think conspiracy theory one way or the other on that one, because in the end, they got gobbled up by JP Morgan, yeah. which, by the way, anecdotally has a very good. Um, CET1 ratio. I sent you a list of of them all. So, uh, for anybody listening right now and thinking, like, I don't know, DSB, you know, domestic stability buffer and CET1 ratios, like, how is this ever going to affect anything? Keep in mind that back in 2020, in order to stimulate lending, they reduced the DSB and it was cut from two and a quarter to 1%. So much more dramatic of a cut than what we're seeing as a raise right now. And clearly it was a kind of COVID measure to get confidence in the market and, you know, get lending happening. It resulted in an additional $300 billion in loans.
0: That's crazy to me. $300 billion in loans. And so like, I mean, that is obviously money that goes out to the public, out to the Canadian citizens. But I mean... Now they're going to have to collect that money again. Like the bank of Matt Scanlon, let's say my profits this year were only 5 billion. Now I'm at 10.5. I need to get back to 11, 11.5. Where am I going to get this money from? Do I like, do I, do I get it like from the central bank being printed out or does that, do I
1: start- No, you would raise, you would raise money. You'd raise money. You'd issue new shares. By that?
0: Like issued new shares or, or am I hoarding it from my clients and my customers Like like my increasing interest rate? Like, it, obviously this is a trickle down effect that goes all the way
1: down. All of the above. Yeah. So listen, what you can expect to have happen is the opposite of what happened when they decreased the stability buffer, right? Now that they're increasing the buffer, you can expect a contraction of loans and, and think about it. You know what? In retrospect, it would be good to have the risk weightings for each of the assets because you can see the riskiest assets are going to get, are going to be the ones that get pulled in most, right? So think like small business loans, high interest rate credit cards, high interest rate personal loans. Those are riskier assets on the bank's book. Corporate borrowing, small and medium-sized enterprises are going to get hammered, hammered. So you know, if the Canadian economy is a balloon, every single time we pinprick it with an interest rate hike, this has to be considered as having an effect of an interest rate hike. It w- this will have a, an impact of reducing borrowing, which is for sure what the intended consequence is. And the things that you mentioned just now, when you quickly riddle, like rattled those off, Okay. Number one, liquidity is going to tighten. Loans are going to get more expensive. The banks are required now to have a greater amount of common equity in that common equity tier one ratio, which means that they can return less of a return to shareholders. They need to hold more of that capital. So they're going to increase interest rates. They're going to hold more capital. Some of them are going to issue shares in order to get more money, although none of them are at that like none of them are below that 11 and percent requirement. They all exceed the requirement as it is right now. Again, I'm pretty sure that this announcement came after a meeting in a back room with all of the CEOs from all of the Canadian banks and everybody looked around and said like, okay, so who's at what? You know who comes out like, like a superstar right now, by the way? TD Bank. Because TD Bank was supposed to buy that American bank. They were had a whole bunch of capital available to them. The ratio was the highest out of all the banks at like exceeding fifteen percent.
0: It's because they were had like uh, holdings ready to buy another bank in the U.S., though, right? It's not because they were looking forward right. to like trying to do this ahead, yeah.
1: No, 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 no. Yeah, no. And CIBC, which is like not the darling of OSFI right now, um, is the lowest, and they're at like eleven point like. Just just a little higher than 11.5. And I don't know if you heard, the, um, OSFI has actually had a, a year-long kind of investigation into CIBC for underwriting practices that, is le- that have led to the, the, their customers getting too much money, not meeting requirements, like, underwriting issues. So I think if you're at CIBC right now, you're worried.
0: I'm not that worried. But, I have to Like working in this industry for a while, like they're the one that don't have a broker portal. And then when you ha- have a client that works with like CIBC, their books are always screwed. Like every, CIBC clients come to us all the time. Like help me.
1: I mean, I listen, I never want to say anything disparaging about any Canadian bank, but they do, I think say that CIBC is the bank that can harm itself with sharp things around.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: honestly i think that's like a saying
0: let me ask you like this change is happening it's being implemented in november the last change was in december last year when this happened last year did we see this trickle down that we like was it of course it's going to probably hit us harder this year when it implements but last you know, yeah man i'll tell you something down no no because there's so many other things going on right now Like
1: it's hard to quantify what the impact of these individual movements are because of how much other stuff is going on. You know what the problem is? The economy is just showing too much
0: resilience. I said the same thing with a friend last night. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just looking too good. Like, you know, numbers are coming out. Consumers are spending money. Property values are increasing. Like it's like a freight train. that's out of control and unstoppable. And like, the brakes are already on the train. The train is slowing down. Um, I just, I like, it's gonna go in reverse, right?
0: So, I mean, uh, Peter Rutledge had this quote that I saw that said, uh, "the this change will help can- uh, Canada maintain resilient financial system." Um, I mean. When he says that, it obvious, he's not talking He's talking about Canada as a nation. That's the way that I hear it, and not Canadians as individuals. It seems to be like he's drawing this fine line that Canada's got to be uh, uh, on the international front. It has to have a strong economy, even if Canadians are broke.
1: Yeah, it's like training at altitude, right? It's like, let's throw in some additional safeguards, some things that make it harder for our economy to move forward so that when it comes down to crunch time we can remove them and we can accelerate our performance
0: i I get that that yeah i can see that that's what he's talking about right Okay. okay
1: okay he's saying he's saying like listen we've got an opportunity right now to feather the nest a little bit to make ourselves to We need to slow the economy down. That's the number one priority. And we do see financial shocks coming in the future. Like, make no mistake, OSFI is concerned with the thing we have been talking about for almost a year now, and it is negative amortizations, Okay, It's Canadian mortgage holders that have mortgages that have constantly increasing amortization periods because the uh, payment that they have on their mortgage is not servicing the debt uh, or the interest. It's not reducing the debt. It's accumulating the interest and adding it to the debt. And that's definitely what is keeping the real estate market hot, uh, way hotter than anybody would have expected. Um, And removing it is going to cause a real problem. So I'm sure that like, if it's the minister of finance, that's got a dog in this race of, Hey, we got another federal election. We're going to have to call. We do not want to see property values get decimated. Right. Uh, You got the bank of Canada saying like, well, we do need to see a pullback in property values. Um, And arguably we did see a pullback in property values, but I don't know. Doesn't it feel like we're right back where we were?
0: I mean, I've been looking at some of the numbers and we've gone up month over month, every month since January or February this year. And I mean, everybody in January, and February this year was like, get ready. We're going down another 15%. And I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. I cannot predict the future, uh, but I, I don't know where we're going to go. Like, I wouldn't have a, a clue. Okay.
1: I think what- for sure, for sure, property values are going to come down. Okay. Like. Uh, I like, I think we probably set the low print. So maybe we're going to see 10 or 15 points come off of property values. I know this is not a popular opinion. And I know most economists right now are saying like, we've seen the lows. I just think there's too many people focused on slowing the economy down. There are a lot of chefs in the kitchen right now. Yeah. Like, you know, like we just, we have a great contest going right now on our Instagram page where we found pictures of Tiff Macklin and Jerome Powell, Federal Reserve chair, actually barbecuing people, not people, but barbecuing together, drinking beer, barbecuing, smiling. Um, if I could do another one, I would make like Tiff Macklin, Peter Rutledge, Friedland, Minister of Finance, all of them with chef hats on, and all of them working on a broth. Too many chefs spoil the broth. Like, it's a lot of people working on slowing the economy down. I think that Christian Friedland is focused on, who knows, like accelerating and spending money and counteracting what the Bank of Canada Wants, which is to reduce inflation. Anyways, um, I think that there are too many people focused on reducing inflation. We are throwing everything we can at it. And the only way we can pull that back is if Canadian consumers feel the pinch. And the only way they're going to feel the pinch is if the value of homes decreases.
0: And that's kind of what I don't I was, see another way for this to happen. That's what uh, kind of what I was se- meaning by like the, the, the this dividing line between Canadians and in uh and the rest of Canada because I mean it just seems that um the average Canadian is going to have to pay for all of this. You know what I mean? That's where it's going to trick it's not going to trickle down to um uh the the oligarch families that run our banking and uh, housing and our, and our, uh, groceries, they're not, they're going to implement policies, uh, where, you know, the shareholders don't make, they, they don't lose and the, their own pockets don't lose. And well, it's going to trickle down to, uh, you know, a Canadian probably foreclosing on their house because they can no longer afford their mortgage.
1: So I will say that I think that the bank's, have made a cognizant decision not to like to avoid the power of sales at all costs.
0: I agree. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, that. That's why they like, don't think the is so that the problem is,
1: is like, yeah, is like it's going to come time for people to renew mortgages and they're going to have higher mortgages than they had when they started. And And that just means more interest
0: goes down. It's the whole thing.
1: Yeah. And it means more interest, more interest being paid to the Canadian banks. And if you put tighter controls on how the banks can lend money, um, then that means the money becomes even more expensive. So like all things being equal, introducing an additional, call it an expense for the banks to lend money. Right by requiring them to hold more capital with respect to their risk-weighted assets, all that's gonna do is increase borrowing costs. So think of this as another rate hike.
0: Yeah, so what would you say that like, what's this an indicator of? Is this an indicator of something that, like is this a future indicator or a current indicator? Is this What do you see in the future uh, with this? Obviously you said they're gonna dial it back and so they can, but how far away do you think that is?
1: I don't think they wanted to do this. And I think that people were expecting that we would be pretty close to dial back territory now. Yeah. Like, listen, we can't dial it back when too many people are expecting that we're going to dial it back. It's, you know what it's like? Yeah. If you want a really, if you want a really good roller coaster. Okay. If you want a really good roller coaster, the importance of the really good roller coaster is. (laughs) to make the person on the roller coaster scared yeah so when you're going up and it's going on the on that roller coaster you know that the drop is coming you know it's coming but it's a shit roller coaster if it just goes and you're not scared of it and the next time it comes around You're not even going to like, you'll be like, I'll just take my pop with me on the roller coaster, secure my sunglasses. (laughs) No problem. Like, I'm not doing that. We were being told, like, the roller coaster only had three clicks. So the Canadian consumer, the Canadian mortgage holder, the Canadian borrower, the Canadian business owner, they were like, you know what? I'm just going to wear my sunglasses. I'm not worried about them getting Dislodged and the can of pop that I'm drinking, I'm gonna drink it. I'm not even worried about it spilling on me. Well, that totally mutes the intended effect of the scary part of the roller coaster. So, good old Tiff Macklin sitting there building the roller coaster as it goes, he has added a whole bunch more clicks onto this thing. Yeah, and Matt, we're still clicking. Yeah, and now nobody we're clicking. Knows where the economy is clicking, right. But eventually, we're going to reach the top of the roller coaster, and the roller coaster is going to come down.
0: So it's it's almost like we're going up this roller coaster hill blindfolded, and we can hear the clicks, and nobody's telling us where it's going to end.
1: Well, I can tell you, I think, to continue with this analogy, I think that the roller coaster has a higher likelihood of ending the the more scared we get. So like... Ah. Tell the guy still wearing the sunglasses and drinking the Coke to put it away and to start holding on and stop spending money and stop borrowing money. And the sooner we get to that frame of mind, the better off we're going to be. Because the longer the roller coaster clicks upwards, the further down we're going to have to go, right? The higher, in, like, again, we talk about this too. Inflation is bad, right? What's really bad is entrenched inflation. And entrenched inflation comes when employment costs rise to meet general inflationary environments. Because employment costs don't drop. Hey, Matt, cost of living, salary increase for you. Extra fifteen thousand dollars a year. What do you say? Thanks, man. That's oh, amazing.
0: Nobody's going to say no to more money.
1: Okay. Hey, Matt. Uh, inflation seems to be out of the market right now, and we can't really charge our borrowers as much. So I'm going to have to claw back that fifteen grand. What do you say? Uh, what? Yeah. Like <laughs> I already bought a car, man. You already. I already. Inflated labor costs, you as a result continued by inflating other costs because you're spending more money. That's the scary part of inflation. And it's very difficult to dial that back. And the argument is, is like, because we weren't scared on the roller coaster ride, we let inflation run too hot, too far. When we were inviting people to come on to the roller coaster ride, we basically said, this is the most relaxing roller coaster ride you're ever going to be on. Interest rates are going to be very low for a very long period of time. That's a quote from every central banker around the world during COVID. COVID stimulus is going to have no impact on inflation. So don't worry about it. Bring your can of Coke on there, bring a little baby with you on there. Don't strap the little baby in on the roller coaster. That's what we were doing, and then everyone got on the roller coaster ride, and you know the central bankers were at the helm, and they were like, "We got to make this thing scarier,"
0: and we're already on the ride, and Susie already brought baby Tommy along.
1: Yeah, like a baby Tommy right now, he's scared for sure,
0: right?
1: And like, you know who else is scared? Like that the <laughs> the World War Two vet. Like the old guy that's seen it before, he's like, "Ah, oh, this is gonna be a problem."
0: I've been up uh, a roller coaster with this many clicks before, and it's not a fun yeah. ride down. Yeah, I remember when interest
1: rates were a thousand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it seems like we've covered a lot here. It's definitely uh, I I feel way more uh, like knowledgeable on this subject because like reading these newspaper articles, like they were the whole concept kind of went over my head exactly what it is, but I was like are they talking about fractional reserve banking system without calling it that? And this is like the policies that are in place and this is the measures that they take. And how does it trickle down to all of us? I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that like you hear these YouTube conspiracy theories and the fractional reserve, but there's actual policy about this stuff that they implement to make sure that there's cash on hand and how it trickles down to all Canadians. It's, it's a real thing. And it's like, we it being uh, the cog in the wheel have nothing we have no control over any of it right like we just gotta yeah. like not buy our nikes and and make sure that we hold on to baby tommy <laughs> yeah i've been asking my questions as we go along here you've answered them all you've answered them all
1: awesome Dude, I love doing this with you. This is awesome. This was a lot of fun
0: today. Yeah, me too. I I, I love it too. I, I you know everybody give uh, Marcus a hello in the comments. He's down in Greece right now, and uh, he'll be back in studio with us next week.
1: Bye, everybody.